Can anybody tell me in the room who Andrew Brunson is? Anybody? Yeah, the pastor in Turkey uh, who was arrested two years ago uh, after the Turkish coup uh, took place. Uh, He's been brought before uh, a judge and a jury several times, particularly over the last six months. Two weeks ago, he stood in front of the judge and gave a bold and courageous defense of who he was as a follower of Jesus and as a pastor of a local church, and they threw him back in jail, but... uh, A miracle of God occurred this afternoon, and they released him. Now, the charges have not been dropped, but they released him to go home with his family. First time in two years, he's with his wife and family, and I'm sure that the church was all gathered at his home, and uh, it's been all over the news as he, they were dancing. (laughs) So uh, it was it was awesome to, awesome to see. Has everything to do with tonight? Because all Brunson had to do was admit what the Turkish government wanted him to say, and they'd let him go. That was the deal all along. And he said, "No, I, I will not do that. I will not. I will not admit to something that is not true about me." So uh, we're going to look at uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Who am I talking about? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's their pagan names. Uh, We're going to look at them tonight and and how they responded in a very similar moment. So let's pray. Father, we come before you and we express our gratitude as we have pled before you for the release of Andrew Brunson. We thank you that you have given him the courage, the gospel courage in the midst of incredible difficulty not to give in, not to bow down, not to agree to things that are contrary to his faith. Lord, thank you for protecting him. Thank you for, I'm sure, using him powerfully among the people in the prison. Now, Lord, we pray for his full and complete release that he might return to pastoring and to give himself to gospel ministry. Lord, we know his health has not been good over the last several months. We pray for healing, restoration, that he'd be taken care of by doctors and physicians. And Lord, we pray that your will be done in his life and that to your glory. Now, Lord, lead us as we take up your word and as we study from Daniel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm on page 70 in the book. Let's hit the ground running. So this is the story that's found in the third chapter of Daniel of these three young men, normally known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They exhibited gospel-centered courage. The resolve to live as a follower and disciple of Christ in the midst of difficulty was strength, daring, and confidence. So, So we're asking the question now, what do you do when you're faced with a moment that strength, daring, and confidence are required? How do you respond with courage? So let's get the story straight in our minds for those who don't know it well. Nebuchadnezzar builds an image of gold and calls for the image to be worshipped. So let's read this, Daniel 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. And he set it in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, 
the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justice, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then all those same people came together and gathered for the dedication of the image that King set up, and they stood before the image that he had set up, and a herald proclaimed, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. Now, does that sound familiar? All peoples, nations, and languages. What does that sound similar to? The Great Commission. So this is not just his loyal subjects. Nebuchadnezzar's reign was massive, and he's calling for all the people of the world to worship this image. So when you hear the sound of the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you're to fall down and worship the image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. So there's a threat with death if you don't do it. Now, who is this image? I know. It's King Nebuchadnezzar. So it's the image of himself. So he wants people to worship an image of him. Now, this is very common as you study world history of these powerful rulers, particularly the Roman Caesars, who would set up images of himself, themselves and demand that people fall down and worship them. So the peoples do what he says. Therefore, as soon as the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the, horn, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now let me just pause right here. So today, I think it's significant, this will go in my notes, that today was the day that Andrew Brunson was released from prison. Five years ago today, when I preached the same sermon, was the day Doma was cast down by the Supreme Court. You may know what Doma is? The Defense of Marriage Act. And what became legal five years ago this summer? Homosexual marriage. It has become, I said this, I said when I preached this sermon, I said this will become the idol of our age that we are all demanded to fall down and worship. No less than allegiance will be required and we move closer and closer to that every day. To where it's, it's not just okay that people would have the right to do that. What is becoming more and more is that we are forced to agree with it. And it is going to continue to become a major issue as we as followers of Christ are faced with it as to, as to whether or not we embrace it and treat it as normal. Back to the story. It says everybody bowed down. Uh, we know from Daniel chapter 1 that among the, the exiles who had been brought from from Israel, there was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, the tribe of Judah, who, who also comes from the tribe of Judah. Jesus, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. So the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel they called Belteshazzar, which is very interesting. We don't refer to Daniel as Belteshazzar, but to Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego. I just think it's interesting we call them now by their pagan names. So, <clears throat> back to Daniel 3. At a certain time, uh, now that, 
Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Your king made a decree. It's repetitious of everything that was supposed to happen, all the music, to worship the golden idol image. And whoever does not fall down and worship you will cast in the, in the fiery furnace. Therefore, there are certain Jews whom you appointed over the affairs of Providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the image that you have set up. Now, we got to pause right here and ask the question. Why did these three people not bow down and worship the image that they were commanded? And this was a law. The government said, you've got to do this. You have to worship this image. If you break the law, it's a death penalty. Why would they not bow? Anybody know? strong in their faith. I would agree with that, but there's, there's a more specific reason. Yes. Right. So let, let's just turn to Exodus 20 and let's, let's answer the question. It's not in your book. Let's answer the question why they bowed down. So just look there. What's the first commandment? They're not numbered, one, two, three, four. You've got to single them out. What's the first commandment? You have no other gods before me. So is this image violating the first commandment? All right, let's keep going. What's the second commandment? All right, I can't understand. One person. Don't, don't do what? Don't make images. Don't make idols. So is the second commandment violated? What's the third commandment? Don't bow down. Specifically, that's what they're told to bow down. The reason that these three young men do not bow down is because it was a direct violation of what God had said. So they refused. They refused to do so and to participate. Now, Nebuchadnezzar gets involved. He's furious. (laughs) Think about this. Thousands, the plain of Dura is a massive place. Thousands, ten thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people were there at this dedication ceremony because this thing was huge, massive statue, gleaming in the sun, and everybody's bound down. And, and it was such a crowd, only the people around noticed these three dudes didn't bow. And it took a while for the information to get back as to what happened. So all these thousands of people, these three, comes back to Nebuchadnezzar. He is furious about it. He's in a furious rage. He commanded that the three be brought to him. So they brought these three men to the, to, to the, to the king, Nebuchadnezzar. <clears throat> and he answered and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the the, 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 the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, every kind of music to fall down and worship the image I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And he asks this question, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? In other words, don't you know who I am? I don't know, I don't know who, what God you think you're serving, but you think he's going to deliver you out of my hands? Let me just pause here for illustration. This happened. I checked it out. I don't know the names. But the University of South Carolina, this would have been probably 15 years ago now, maybe 20, 
there was a philosophy professor there who was a raging atheist. I mean, just an angry man. And it was one of those required classes that you had to take this philosophy class to, for, for most degree programs to graduate. And a lot of people had to pass through. His classes would hold 300 people. And at the end, everybody knew this was coming. At the end of the class, he would, he would, he would come on the last day and say, if, if there are any Christians in the room and you are willing to say after you have sat through my class that there is a God, I want you to stand up. So for years, because they knew what was coming next, He's going to take a piece of chalk and say, if there's really a God, then when I drop this piece of chalk, it's not going to shatter when it hits the floor. Nobody would stand up because they were scared of him. He'd drop the piece of chalk. It would shatter. The class would end. Well, and we're talking about South Carolina here. We're not talking about North. This is how chicken people are. All right? A young freshman took the class. And he began to pray the first day of class. He knew this was coming. He knew his grade, everything. He knew it was going to come that day when this professor was going to say it. And he had already made up his mind. He was going to stand up. So he comes to the end. Professor goes to his spiel. Any of you Christians willing to stand up? The young man stands to his feet. It enrages the professor. And as he picks up the piece of chalk to say, if there really is a God, when I drop this chalk, it's going to, it won't crash to the floor. About that time, the professor fumbles the piece of chalk. It rolls down his shirt off a pair of pleated pants. This is the 90s. Bounces and rolls across the floor. The professor is so enraged, he leaves the class. Now, the courage doesn't end here. This young man, he left. There's 300 people left, the only guy standing. So what does the young man do? Presents the gospel and says, I've prayed for three months that this day would happen, and God prevented that chalk from breaking. So, there, so you never know. Now, here's the deal. Let me turn the story. What if the chalk had broken? Does that prove there's not a God? Watch this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond with courage. They answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If, it, if this so be, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be known to you, O king. We will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. So if we're going to end up roasted chicken here in the next few minutes, fine. We will not bow down. We will not do it. We're not going to bow. So Nebuchadnezzar sentenced him to death. He's filled with fury. The expression of his, his, his face changed toward these three guys. He thinks they're going to do what he wants them to do. So he orders the furnace heated seven times more than usual. He orders some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them in the burning furnace. The, then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and the other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace and because the king's order was so urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace with all their clothes on. Now, if you know the story, the Lord saves them. 
It says, Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose up in haste. So somehow they can see into the fire. I don't know how to explain all that. They can see into what's happening. He declares to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. So I have a question for you. Who was in the fire? The warrior. This is one of those theophany moments when Jesus shows up. And there he is in the fire with the three of them. He promises this. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he honors the courage of these three young men. Now, Nebuchadnezzar recognizes their courage and their faith. He came to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over their bodies. The hairs of their heads were not singed, and their cloaks were not harmed, and no smile of fire had come upon them. All right, so just a couple images come to my mind. Is the moments my grill has, when I was trying to burn all the hair off my arms, and man, it stinks. Like having a campfire in your backyard, it's impossible to hang out at the campfire that you don't smell like fire. So they don't even smell like it. There's no burned hair on them, nothing. So Nebuchadnezzar becomes the wrong kind of evangelist. He says, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and they were his servants who trusted them and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship and, and any God except their own God. So, right, so far, he's, he's, he's right. So he says, therefore, make any decree that any nation language that speaks anything against God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn from limb to limb and their houses laid to ruins for there's no God who is able to rescue in this way. That is not how we carry out evangelism. We do not force anybody to believe anything. This is the difference between Christianity and world religions. Do you know when we go into Islamic countries and we share the gospel with them, the main reason they won't turn to Jesus? It's not that they don't believe. It's they're afraid. Because they know if they leave the Muslim faith, in many of these countries, they'll at least be kicked out of their family, and a lot of them, they'll lose their life for following Christ. This is not how we function. And Nebuchadnezzar, uh, even though he recognizes some right things, he's not fully embraced. So here's my so what question. Am I responding with courage by refusing to serve and worship any God but the Lord God? Now, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols for we are the temple of the living God. Now, we are Christians. So if you're not a Christian here, you're not the temple of the living God. But if you are, you're the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst, be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now, they're not idols set up on the plain of Dura, big gold items that we go and bow down around. 
but idolatry is rampant in our world. It's everywhere. So one of the things that happens in in world religions to where people are forced to worship a a certain way, people are forced to wear the same kind of clothes. You ever notice this? All right, same kind of clothes. Some people... Some people then are required to have certain relationships and forced into those relationships with people, and they're scared to lose them. So, have you ever ever found it interesting that the people who are like, quote, the rebels all dress alike? You ever notice this? Some of you are smiling. (laughs) I just find it funny, you know. Like you go out places, and you'll find all these people with all these things sticking out of their body and real edgy clothes, but all fifteen of them are wearing the same outfit. Like they're really being independent here and proving something. This is how it works. Now track with me here. We're just deciding who our God is. We're just deciding who, who's God we're going to worship. Crowd's going to decide who the God is. We're going to worship with this crowd's God or this crowd's God. Now, we might not call him God or we may not put it out that way, but, but that's, that's really how, how it happens. And it determines who your friendships are. It determines how you act, what, what you do. Let me, let me press it further again. I don't want Mary Claire's phone because it embarrassed me today. Give me another one. Here's here's one of the ways. I'm being serious here. It's going to sound funny, but I'm being serious. Here's one of the ways I know this is an idol. Most of you in this room would flip if you lost this. I mean flip. I'm not talking about get upset that, you know, you lost your $500 phone. It's deeper than that. I've watched you. I mean, like, go into full-on outer orbit, lost your mind, need to go to the seventh floor of Gaston Memorial Hospital. I mean, just would kill over this. Something unhealthy is happening here. And we're going to have to wake up and admit it. This has got way, way, way too much control. And and this is not just kids, like, you know, 10 years, or not 10, it's just 12 years that this thing's been around. You know, five years ago, the older adults were like, now they're at Starbucks with their nose in their face, and I mean, the phone up in their face looking at it, nose. <laughs> Sorry. Here's ultimately the issue. Who Nebuchadnezzar want everybody to worship? You know one of the things they call your generation? It's a little short word. The me generation. The selfie generation. It's the definition. Guys, let's just be honest. We all have the same problem Nebuchadnezzar has. If we're honest. It's not just we worship ourselves. Here's the deal. We want everybody else to worship us too. Now, How's that going to work out in a world where we're all self-worshippers and everybody's got to worship us? It's not going to work out for you. 
In fact, it's going to lead to chaos, and that's where we're fast-headed. What you need to do is to wake up to what's happening to you and where your worship, where your allegiance is. Now, this is Romans 16. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles, contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, and avoid them. For such persons do not serve the Lord our Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Let me just pause right here. Now, I'm not trying to single out anybody. I've been doing youth camps now since a long time. And every youth camp, there's five or six people, sometimes more than that, whose job is to distract everybody else from getting anything out of camp. That's their goal. Let's just see how much havoc we can raise, how much trouble you can get into, and how many people you can get to join into it so you can Go back home and brag about what you got away with at camp and what you do. Now, this is who's being described here. And some of you, God's dealing with you. And, and here's what you're going to have to do today. In fact, right now, that's what I'm calling you to do. You're going to have to stop listening to them. This is what the Bible's appealing to you. Brothers, watch out for those who call divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. Let's just use the courage thing. Quit being afraid of them. Why are you so scared of them? What are they going to do to you? We won't be my friend anymore. Okay. Like this person who's controlling your life and deciding what you do, that, that's the kind of friend you want? For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. I'm going to press this illustration further. The first time in my life, I told you before, I wasn't walking with Jesus. I got invited to a youth camp. It was the first time in my life I was exposed to open sex, drugs, and alcohol. So let me just throw down the gauntlet right here. We won't tolerate that here. You will go home. That messed me up. And I got introduced here at a place like this. This is not going to be. This is, this is a place to where people are going to be innocent to evil. This is not a place to get introduced evil. There are plenty of locations for that. And that's what Paul's appealing to here. The church, the youth ministry, that's not a place for it. This is a place where people have courage and stand up and say, we're going to obey Jesus here. We're not going to pursue after the things of the world. Now, there's a warning at the end and a comfort. It's a comfort to Christians and a warning to non-Christians. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Now, there's a story in there of William Wilberforce. I'm going to tell it quickly, and then I'm going to go to Luke chapter 18. So if you've got your Bible and you want to turn to Luke 18, you can do that. William Wilberforce was a rich, snotty kid. He grew up in England. His parents were social elites. They were so social elite, they sent him off to study. He lived with his aunt and uncle, who they, whom his parents did not know were devout Christians. 
They were friends of John Newton. Does anybody have any clue who John Newton is? He wrote a very famous song, Amazing Grace. John Newton was a former slave uh, ship captain. And Amazing Grace makes a whole lot more meaning when you understand what he was saved from. When he says it saved a wretch like me, and you read the writings of, of, what, of what John Newton did to human beings, he was amazed that God could save him. Well, in his early childhood with his aunt and uncle, he was influenced to Christianity, Wilberforce was, and by this man, John Newton. His parents found out they were devout Christians. They took him out, put him in boarding school, kept him away from that, raised him to be a social elite. He was the youngest member of parliament. Uh, he was advancing tremendously, and then he got introduced to another Christian. And those seeds that had been planted by his aunt and uncle and by, and by John Newton began to sprout and he would go to John Newton at dark in private, so nobody knew that he was going to him. Uh, there, there's a movie called Amazing Grace, and it tells the story of John Newton and William Wilberforce. It's, it's worth watching. And how God used Newton to impact his life. Well, long story short, William Wilberforce repents of his sin and turns to Christ. And thank God, see how people put this former slave captain together with this youngest member of parliament, Newton disciples Wilberforce and convinces him to stay in the parliament with the goal of ending the slave trade and ending slavery in Europe. And if you don't know the story, God uses this young man to first end the slave trade at great cost to his life, mentally and emotionally. He becomes a very sick and weary man. And just before he died, slavery was annihilated in England and eventually spread over to the United States. And it's because this young man laid down his idols and followed Jesus. Now, Luke chapter 18. I want you to think about William Wilberforce when I read this passage. A ruler asked him, verse 18, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, Okay, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. When he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. One of the other accounts says his face failed, for he had great wealth. He left. Here's my question to you. Is there anything, anyone, more important to you than Jesus? Because here's the deal. Would anybody like to guess why Jesus asked him to sell everything and give it to the poor? What commandment was Jesus pointing out to him? The first and second. This man was worshiping another God, his money. 
And he wasn't willing to lay that down. He hadn't kept all the commandments. He violated the first two. So the question is before you tonight, is is there anything that you're putting before the Lord? Then here's what you need to do. You need to repent of that and follow Jesus. You need to turn to Christ. If, if what you have heard over the last couple of days, this, this, this compelling call that Jesus is the warrior who gave his life for us, that, that he is the one who commanded the disciples to come and follow him. If, if God is dealing with you, will you, without worrying about what your friends think, will you follow Jesus? Will you repent of your sin? Will you turn from your sin or whatever that idol is and follow Christ? Lord Jesus, I prayed that uh, this would be like the road of Galilee and just as compelling as when you spoke to Peter and John and James and Andrew that they dropped their nets and follow you. And uh, I pray, God, that you will give strength and courage these young men and women, that they will follow you with their life. Put people in their life like you did in the life of Saul when he repented of his sin and turned to Christ. You, you put people like Ananias in his life to disciple him and encourage him and help him. I pray you would do that for these young men and women. And God, I pray that together there would be a solidarity together among these young people that they will follow Christ together. They will encourage each other. They will help each other. They will spur one another on, that they will not give up on each other. Even when hard times come and it looks like things are going the wrong way, give them the courage to hang in there because you have given us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So bless these young men and women who stood and I pray that you would encourage all of our hearts together to worship you now, in Jesus' name, amen.